This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, May 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Democrats search for a new county commissioner, county approves West End copper speculation, Mountain Village talks parking, and a mountain weather forecast. San Miguel County Democrats are in the process of filling the seat left vacant by Commissioner Hillary Cooper. Cooper is leaving her position to take a job in Governor Polis's administration. Her final day will be May 8th. Per state statute, as a partisan seat, the party of the elected official chooses their replacement. Cooper ran as a Democrat. The Democrats will select the new commissioner. But it's not all the Democrats in San Miguel County. The appointment will be decided by a vacancy committee. It's all the precinct organizers. It's any sitting elected Democrat in the county, like a person that's got voted as a Democrat, not just because you're a Democrat and you got voted into office like a town council type thing, but an actual Democrat election. Um, and then the officers of the committee, which is the chair, vice chair, treasurer, and secretary. So very specific. That's Joan May, secretary of the San Miguel County Democrats. I think the committee f- feels the weight of the responsibility and is very committed to taking input and being as unbiased as possible in looking forward to what's best for the county for the next year and a half until an election happens. The vacancy committee will officially form on May 9th after Cooper leaves her position. Committee members will review the applications for a new commissioner and then take a vote. There has to be a vote in person, a public vote. The public doesn't have to necessarily be given an opportunity to speak at the vote, but it has to be a public meeting. At that vote, May says the committee will vote on every candidate that is qualified to serve in the seat. The committee just keeps voting until somebody gets 50 percent and you drop off the lowest voter, the lowest person each time. This is how the state says we have to do it. May notes the Democrats are looking for input from the community through a survey on what they would like to see in a commissioner. But she says it's not looking for input on the vote itself. What the committee's looking for is like, hey, did you think about this? It's not like, well, I don't like how that person did it, or I got 25 people to say that this person should give me a point. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a vote. It's really just for input for things for the, that you want the committee. Like, did you think about this issue or this personality trait or whatever? Um, it's not like, oh, we got 100 you know, survey responses that say they support some person that they think is running. That's not not going to do anything. That's not going to influence any decision. May emphasizes the committee will consider all applications, not placing favors on any rumors. I am hearing a lot of rumors about, oh, this person is kind of the heir apparent or this person is going to be the next commissioner. And just so people know, that is all rumor. There's There has not been a single name that's put forward uh, that the committee said, oh, yeah, we expect it to be that person. The San Miguel County Democrats are planning to host a candidate forum on Tuesday, May 16th at 6 p.m., with the vote on the new commissioner on Wednesday, May 17th at 6 p.m. Individuals can submit their opinion on the selection by going to smcdemocrats.org. Between the storied history of gold mining in the East End and the more recent past of uranium mining in the West End, the mineral resources of San Miguel County are some of the most explored in the country. And while mining operations more or less ceased some decades ago, a renewed thirst for precious metals has led to an increase in activity. 
At a recent county commissioner meeting, a new copper mining endeavor was approved. KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners hears land use concerns and applications all the time. But amongst the typical matters of rezoning requests and impact fee appeals, one land use application stands out. At a commissioner meeting this week, senior planner with the county, John Hubner, introduces the proposal. Five exploratory drill pads are constructed on federal mine claims are proposed on BLM-managed public lands. The drilling exploration activity or prospecting is largely expected to be core samples. And there is one drill pad uh, proposed in the state of Utah in San Juan County that would be accessed from the state of Colorado. Yes, far on the county's west end, up along the Utah border, a mining speculation company by the name of Tarsus Resources has been working on an application to explore for copper. Hubner tells the commissioners the county's Planning and Zoning Commission has approved the application with some reservations. The Planning Commission voted four to one with Lifton Zeolene opposed to recommend approval. Lifton Zeolene stated that although the applicant has met high standards, which was also she is unsure due to climate issues and drought in the project area that the disturbed soils can be revegetated adequate, adequately. She also states that the project is not in line with other allowed uses in the area. Major mining operations have entirely ceased in the West End, but speculation persists. Speculation is exploring an area for resources. It does not produce minerals nor a significant number of jobs. But if speculators strike gold, or in this case, copper, it can lead to full-scale mining in the future. Like mining, speculation can have negative environmental impacts. Ryan Joyner, representing the Bureau of Land Management, says this applicant has kept those concerns in mind. BLM has completed its uh, review for undue and unnecessary damage. Um, We've rerouted some of their roads for archaeological concerns and did a review for uh, the unoccupied Gunnison sage grouse habitat that's present and found it to not have any impacts. Um, So if there are additional desires of the county, we would take those into consideration. County commissioners voice skepticism of the project. They bring up concerns ranging from noise impacts on wildlife, impacts to pinion pines and other fauna, water use and pollution, disruption of cultural resources, and cleanup efforts after the exploration is complete. Hubner specifies some of the commissioners' conditions. And we would request that the revegetation plan include soil restoration and best practices to maximize the available water And the CPW has provided a seed mix recommendation, which we would request would be followed. Commissioners are not the only ones with environmental concerns. Mason Osgood, director of the conservation group Sheep Mountain Alliance, says in a public comment, the mining claims come very close to conservation legislation currently in Congress. I just want to reiterate the um, the values of the landscape that this project is taking place on. We have a proposed Dolores National Conservation Area legislation that is um, less than a mile from where this project is taking place. And most recently, um, there's been news about a proposed national monument in this region to protect the Dolores landscape. Um, The values of extraction industries go directly against the values of um, a national monument. Despite the discussion, the county's land use code does allow mineral claims in the West End District. 
So following numerous work sessions and discussions held over the past few months, the commissioners vote to approve Tarsus Resources application with two in favor and one Commissioner Cooper opposed. Parking in Mountain Village is looking to get a shakeup in the next several years. Last month, Mountain Village Town Council heard from Walker consultants about research they've done into the challenges and potential solutions for parking in Mountain Village. For Andrew Vador with Walker Consultants, when thinking about parking, it's important to identify all the individuals who will be using the space. Employees coming to and from work, business customers, visitors getting to the ski slopes. And so everybody's going to have their own need for how they park, where they park, why they park, and for how long they park. So we want to make sure that we're providing access for all parkers. Vidor looked at Mountain Village's parking compared to other communities in the region or towns with similar fields. Almost all communities or resorts charge more for parking than the town of Mountain Village does during the winter season. Um, most of them also have tiered pricing models. So the most convenient and preferred parking is going to be the most expensive. The facilities, whether it's lots or garages that you may need to walk farther or be shuttled in from, are going to have lower pricing fees. Fedor says most communities have double the hourly rate. So it's a really pretty good bargain for the customer right now. But I think there's a lot of revenue that's being left on the table considering the rates you're charging relatively low. In addition, most communities have a different price structure for weekdays and weekends when there's often more demand. Fedor says weekday rates average $20 per day with weekend rates of roughly $25 per day. Vidor's presentation to town council was a work session, so there were no decisions made on new rate structures, but he recommends putting a tiered structure in place. Economy, you know, preferred and premium lots. So that equates to the Meadows lot, for example, being the economy lot. You do have to walk or take the gondola or chandala from there. The gondola parking garage is a preferred location. It's essentially ski and ski out. Um, for those that choose to, and if you don't want to ski down the cat tracks to the base area, you're able to easily get on the gondola to take you to the base of the village. Um, the Heritage Parking Garage and North and South Village lots very much are premium parking. The Heritage Parking Garage is underground, it's heated, it's covered, um, so you're not going to have to worry about brushing snow off at the end of the day. Um, and if you're looking for a short walk, you're right there at the base. Fedor recommends increasing the hourly rate for the premium lots in addition to establishing a weekday versus weekend rate and placing parking fees for the Gondola and Meadows parking lots. Finally, he suggests increasing the cost of a ticket for violation. Right now, they're pretty low, and in some cases, um, people might use the opportunity to risk a violation rather than pay parking rates because they are so low. So this is incentivizes violations to be a consequence, not a, uh, a risk game that you play to maybe get a ticket versus paying for parking. Vidor notes he doesn't want to make things significantly more difficult or expensive for employees, so he recommends a parking pass that would be low cost. Shifts in parking fee structures is in part to help offset the cost of a future expansion to the gondola parking garage. Mountain Village plans to add an additional two levels to the garage to the tune of roughly $20 million. Then, once the garage is expanded, Vidor says it will likely cost $1.7 million annually to operate and maintain. If we take the strategies with the implementations and rate adjustments and policy adjustments that we discussed earlier, 
we move from about a half a million dollars in revenue to about $1.2 million in revenue on an annual basis. So just implementing day parking rates and making adjustments to the parking fees will not alone cover all of the expenses on an annual basis. But it's a significant amount of revenue that you would be generating and you're really not that far off from where you need to be on an annual basis to cover all the operating costs for the parking system as a whole. Mountain Village Town Council will need to vote on any potential changes to the parking fee structure, and a timeline is still up in the air, based on agreements with Telluride Ski and Golf. Highway 141 between Natarita and Gateway will likely be closed on Friday evening due to forecasted high river flows. According to the Colorado Department of Transportation, if the river reaches expected levels, CDOT will close the highway at 5 p.m. and remain closed until the flood danger has subsided. The closure will take place between mile marker 64, just north of Natarita at the junction with County Road CC, and mile marker 110, just south of Gateway. Drivers should not bypass the closure barricades. Starting a business takes more than just a great idea. Like it or not, money is an important piece in the game. That's why the Telluride Venture Network is hosting an investment boot camp to help startups looking for investment. According to TVN, the boot camp will focus on five key areas, including perfecting a pitch, building an investor pipeline, refining a financial model, creating a deck, and developing confidence in holding investor meetings. The boot camp will culminate in a demo day where businesses get to pitch to investors in the area. The boot camp will be a hybrid of in-person and virtual events running from June 25th to June 30th. Applications for the boot camp will be accepted on a rolling basis from now until May 31st. Preference will be given to Telluride and Western Slope businesses. Applications are available at TellurideVentureNetwork.com. Colorado's bees will be getting new protections against some pesticides. A bill is heading to the governor's desk that would limit the use of certain bee-killing insecticides called neonics. The chemicals will be banned at garden stores and big box dealers in the state. Only pesticide dealers will be allowed to distribute them. Earlier this year, a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that bumblebee populations in the southern Rocky Mountains have declined by more than 70% over the last two decades, largely due to neonics. This insecticide has also contributed to declines in some bird populations and other pollinators like butterflies. Last month, Montezuma Cortez Middle School was named one of the top schools for music in the United States for its commitment to music education. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements has more. The National Association of Music Merchants Foundation selected only 78 elementary, middle, or high schools in the entire country for their Music Merit Award. The school was one of only two in Colorado that made the list. Andrew Campo, a band teacher at the middle school, says that to qualify, the school answered a series of detailed questions about music class participation, instruction time, and support for the music program and other community music programs. And what kind of steps do we take to make sure that our music program is inclusive of everybody, um, no matter uh, if they're English language learners or if they're uh, special education or if they're um, having a hard time affording things? Uh, and so... 
I think that's we, we look pretty good on all of those criteria. The Montezuma Cortez Middle School Band will be performing next Thursday, May 11th at 7 p.m. The concert is free to the public. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. In a history-making move on Wednesday, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commissioners approved the state's final gray wolf restoration and management plan. As KDNK's Morgan Neely reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, it's the culmination of a years-long process. But not everyone is happy. In a voluminous gymnasium on Colorado Mountain College's Spring Valley campus between Glenwood Springs and Carbondale, CPW commissioners held a marathon nine-hour meeting Wednesday, They're going to do it again today, but the heavy lifting is now behind them. Voters narrowly approved Proposition 114 in the November 2020 election. The ballot measure directed CPW to restore wolves to Colorado by December 31, 2023, and kicked off years of stakeholder and technical group meetings, public engagement, and opportunities for written comment. After CPW released a draft plan on December 9, 2022, there have been six virtual and in-person meetings around the state with about 4,000 written and verbal comments submitted. All that culminated Wednesday with commissioners voting 11 to nothing to approve the final Colorado wolf restoration and management plan. Eric O'Dell, a species conservation program manager for CPW, is the state's biological and technical lead for wolf restoration. He told the crowd of dozens of ranchers, outfitters, conservationists, and CPW officers and officials that the process has benefited from discussions with counterparts in other western states that already have wolves. A fundamental and primary takeaway from these conversations was that the biological realities of reintroducing and managing wolves is not that different from any other species that state wildlife management agencies have experience with. But what is fundamentally different about wolves when comparing that to other conservation efforts is the level of public interest and attention in the polarizing social and political aspect that this species brings. And that's certainly been what we've experienced throughout this process. And it has been polarizing, with ranchers and outfitters claiming wolves would destroy their livelihood and even the Western way of life, while conservation biologists and animal welfare advocates have pointed to the success of wolves in Yellowstone National Park in nurturing a balanced ecosystem, restoring overgrazed aspen forests, even boosting bee populations and riparian habitat. 39 of Colorado's 64 counties passed resolutions opposing wolf reintroduction before the vote in November 2020. And ultimately, Prop 114 only got a majority of the vote in 13 counties. But those were very populous counties on the Front Range, along with Pitkin and Summit counties, and three counties in the southwest corner of the state. Garfield County commissioners have been staunch opponents of wolf reintroduction and have worked with ranchers and state lawmakers to try to boost compensation figures for wolf depredation of livestock. They've also advocated to postpone restoration until the state can receive a 10-J designation from the federal government. That would classify wolves as a non-essential experimental population and allow CPW and the public more leeway to kill the apex predator if livestock, working dogs, or humans are threatened or harassed. 63% of Garfield County citizens voted against the reintroduction. That's Garfield County Commissioner Mike Sampson, who's held office since 2008. The state reintroduction plan must provide our citizens, grazers, outfitters, etc., with adequate tools to manage an apex predator being forced upon them. As you are aware, Garfield County has stood against the effort to reintroduce wolves since well before the vote. However, here we are. 
Under the final plan, ranchers will be eligible for $15,000 per animal that they can prove was lost to wolf depredation, even up to $30,000 if they have veterinary costs. After the entire wild gray wolf population in the state was exterminated in the 1930s and 40s, it took until the early 2000s for them to return, wandering back into Colorado from their restoration in Yellowstone. Nearly two decades later, in 2021, the state had its first breeding pair since the 1940s. It's thought that only two wolves reside in the state right now. And even with the final management plan in place, it's possible that reintroduction could still be delayed for years. Several bills with bipartisan support making their way through the Colorado legislature would undermine the will of the voters, halting restoration until the state can receive a 10-J designation. Governor Polis and CPW officials support seeking that designation, but believe it can be in place before paws are slated to hit the ground on the last day of this year. The governor himself made an appearance via Zoom yesterday after commissioners approved the final plan. Thank you to everybody for all of your work and congratulations on the unanimous adoption of the Wolf Reintroduction Plan. For KDNK News, I'm Morgan Neely. Where did he come from? Where'd you come from? What are you doing here? Canis lupus. Vulpus bulpus. I have a phobia of wolves. What a beautiful creature. Wish him luck, boys. Good luck. Good luck out there. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Friday, expect sunny skies with a high near 50 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. Friday night, there's a 20% chance of snow showers with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 30. Saturday, there's a 20% chance of snow and rain showers with mostly sunny skies during the day and mostly cloudy skies at night. The high is around 50 degrees with a low around freezing. This has been the news for Thursday, May 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hey, Coda listeners. Happy Mental Health Awareness Month. Communities That Care, in conjunction with Tri-County Health Network, is hosting a free screening of the short film Skyline on Thursday, May 11th at the Palm Theater. Featuring local athlete Johnny Zog and directed by local filmmaker Cale Van Buskirk, Skyline follows Johnny as he attempts to complete the mountain traverse route that had saved his life from suicide, the Sneffels Skyline. Doors of the Palm will open at 6.30 p.m. and the film will be shown at 7 p.m. The film will be followed by a Q&A with Johnny. Adults and youth in middle school and high school are encouraged to attend. Local organizations will be in the lobby providing information about mental health resources and free pizza will be provided. Let's continue to come together to create a happier and healthier community for kids and adults alike. Hey Telluride, happy off season. This is Megan Berry, director of Rainbow Preschool and Rockies School Age Program. And I wanted to invite all of you to the Rainbow Rockies and Rascals Spring Fundraiser. We'll be having our event this year on Friday, May 19th at the Sheridan Opera House from 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. A $15 ticket We'll include an awesome silent and live auction with donations from your favorite local businesses, as well as enter you into a 2023-2024 ski pass raffle. 
Also included in your ticket will be delicious food catered by Patrick Leguenz, live music with Sean Mahoney and Flatliner Express, free champagne while it lasts, and a super fun locals classic community party. Some auction items include a hot air balloon ride for two, a catered dinner for six with wine pairings, sole paddleboard, fine jewelry, festival passes, lodging, home goods, and much, much more. So please mark your calendars for May 19th to support the kids and come celebrate with us this offseason. Hope to see you there. Thanks, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.